0: Hey, guys, this is Rob from Murmur. Before you listen to this episode, a couple of things for you. If you like Murmur, if you listen to the show, go to iTunes, go to the iTunes store and leave us a review. It doesn't have to be longer than a sentence or two. It could be longer than that. But I'm told iTunes reviews help. So if you like the show, it would be amazing if you had a minute to go to the iTunes store and leave us a note. Thank you so much for that. We love our audience and hope you keep listening. The other thing I want to talk to you today about is Audible. Do you like to listen to things in the car, things you like to read usually, magazines, books, uh, podcasts, TV shows, basically? Anything you ingest in your brain, you can listen to on Audible. It's this amazing platform. So here's an idea. Go to freeaudibletrial.com backslash murmur, and you can enjoy a free month of Audible because you listen to murmur. freeaudibletrial.com backslash murmur sign up for a month it's free totally free but you're going to love it you're going to come back for more i listen to it in the car with the dog he digs it i don't know why i know that i just know it thank you for listening to murmur we love you guys and now quiet on the set quiet on the set okay everybody quiet on the set scene one take ten marker Studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, Chameleon Karma, writer, filmmaker, proud Australian, David Michaud is with us to talk about the state of Australia. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you every week on WHUPLP Live. Evergreen on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. It's Murmur Radio. You can subscribe and download us. We also have a website, murmurradio.com. You could send us comments. You could suggest a topic, and I will match a guest to the topic murmurradio.com social handles at murmur, at sorry at msf so much at msf murmur twitter instagram facebook murmur radio we'll also be doing some more live shows coming up stay tuned for those precious prescient announcements every week happy to be with you robert malazzo here founder of the modern school film Murmur Radio. Today, we're going to do a show. We, we've we occasionally, I've occasionally done these state of shows, and I like them because it allows me to take a kind of step back and look at, assess a larger photograph. And it, it's sort of our wheelhouse. When I think of the work I want to do on Murmur, which is, as, as the man, the announcer, the gorgeous... The gorgeously throated announcer says at the beginning, "Where culture meets craft." That's that's you know those these states of are really great moments, and particularly the state of a a nation or a region. So today or a city, today is our first launch into that, and we're going to look at the country state of Australia. <laughs> is it a country state? It's a diverse place, and and no forty minute talk can sum it up but we're going to damn sure try. Today we have on the show David Micho Mich uh, David I was gonna call Micho. David Micho is a writer filmmaker producer and very proud Australian. He is going to give us a take on what's going on in his country and what's interesting now is he's doing so much work outside of the country and this is these are the revolutions of media cycles, so, you know, in outside the US it seems let's say film, let's located at film when filmmakers breakthrough, and David broke through in 2010 with a f- really cool indie, I hate to, to, to limit it by calling it an indie film, but a, a cool film called Animal Kingdom, which he wrote and directed. Animal Kingdom is became an ABC series. It was adapted from uh, David's film. He, his second film was The Rover with Guy Pearce uh, an Australian native and Robert Pattinson which is so it's interesting you know how the hybridization of work and art i find it fascinating it's nothing to turn away from or dial back but culturally there's a kind of interesting result of countries flipping in and out of different media and art systems so that's what we want to talk to David about primarily we don't want to give a history lesson on this on the film history of Australia but we'll sneak some in because there are some people and some historians some film historians say the first ever feature film was made in Australia and we'll talk to David about that but we really want to talk to I'm I'm interested in the psyche through the artists Uh, so that's a little bit of the plumbing work we're going to do with David today his his most recent film War Machine, based on a a novel, based on a a work of nonfiction, starring, presented by, produced by Brad Pitt's Plan B, company Brad's in it, and Netflix presenting it. So David Michaud is in an interesting moment in time in his filmmaking life and work. And I know he's multi-continental, so we'll talk to him about that, because I want... And to be honest, in full disclosure, when I asked him on the show, he thought he was not the, great, the best resource for this topic. And we'll see if he's right. I think it makes him the perfect resource because it's that, out, it's that reluctant tour guide. You know, it's when you think of novels and you think of the omniscient narrator or, you know, Sam Elliott in uh, Lebowski. I mean, there are cool moments. You know, that's fate. That's f- fabulistic. That's when the story is a fable and it's been told. Well, culture is, is a daily bread. So David, feeling he's not the best resource, I think shows you that he's in, the, he's in the story of it now. What is happening in Australia? The export, import of it all. And Australia has a really interesting relationship to America. I won't bore you with the obvious, but what I find really interesting on a film studies level how much the Australian film history is tied to this alternating love and hate with genre filmmaking. And there are some amazing, you know, do yourself a favor, look at some of the great genre pictures coming out of Australia in the seventies. Incredible. You really won't believe what you're seeing. Yet You'll want to see more. And that's the definition of a genre film. (laughs) You think you're getting ripped off and, uh, and um, and inspired at the same time. So America has had that. Australia, the Australian new wave, there's a new new wave. And we could talk about that maybe in the talk. I want to cover some of that. But there's a new new wave of Australian filmmakers. And ironically, they're going back to genre form. Uh, like James Wan is doing the Saw films and now he's doing Aquaman. And he's from Australia. Jennifer Kent did The Duke. I think she's an amazing filmmaker Uh, so there's a lot of filmmakers now finding genre and finding it away but it's funny Australian audiences I gather I'm not Australian and this show isn't uh, broadcast from Australia although people in Australia listen to us and I've had some amazing uh, students Australian students in my time as a teacher I think Australian and it's like American audiences love, hate against genre, so to Australian audiences. However, I don't want to just cover film. I, I really, I'm less interested in covering the brass tacks with David and more interested in, in the psychology, What how David views the psyche. And again, I think he's part of that. So if he's ineloquent, it means we've found the right person. But this, the search doesn't end. We may have to do this again. But this is a, this is a real cool opportunity for Murmur, because I think this is the very definition of where culture meets craft and when you can look at the culture of a country or a city outside the US as we are a US-based show whatever that means it's really exciting. So David Micho on the show, on the Micho, that there's a podcast waiting to happen, the Micho show. David Micho with us. A moment if I may before we bring in David, um, this week uh, a teacher of mine passed away. Uh, an incredibly beloved teacher, a high school instructor that I had. And a teacher, you know, I locate maybe four or five teachers. When I say teachers, I mean they fill out on their job applications profession teacher, not the reluctant teacher or the unknowing teacher. She was a teacher of mine. And she was an extraordinary teacher um, who passed away. And, And I was thinking about you know, how do you how do you sum up what you've learned from a teacher but this teacher in particular saved my life and she offered me something that you you can't learn yourself it has to be taught to you and it's never intentionally taught and that's grace i learned grace from her and i want to thank her For teaching me that. And uh, this show is for her. Now, this. Australia,
1: Australia, Australia, Australia,
2: we love you, In the autumn of 1865, notorious bushranger Daniel Morgan crossed from New South Wales into Victoria to do battle with the law for the last time. Dennis Hopper
1: up, be, move
2: in the but finest performance of his career brilliantly recreates the enigma that was Morgan
1: Stand or he'll blow your bloody head off and I'll knock out all your teeth
2: a giant of a man trapped by the nightmare of his own legend The way he looked at me Lord, dressing me with his eyes God, nightmares for the rest of my life God, thought of him kissing me, touching me horrible disgusting i want the cry of my hounds in his ears i want his spleen on my desk by sundown
1: i've missed so much of my life sir and i'm not trying to be sentimental either do you know how lucky i am to be dan morgan sir
2: mad dog morgan is now an epic movie Recreating the turbulent gold fields, the sprawling sheep stations and the festering prisons of early Australia.
1: Help! Help! You wouldn't be so game if I was not tied down like a dog!
2: Mad Dog Morgan brings you all the passion, the spectacle, the savage beauty of the tumultuous gold rush era. The police across the river border are totally and completely incompetent. We will not tolerate anarchy in our colony.
1: Everyone is talking about it. You won last 24 (laughs) hours
2: in Victoria. This is Morgan Country, where it happened. And this is Morgan. Ferociously violent, unexpectedly kind. My wagon? I'll be giving you a pound. And only for one reason that I may have to take it back from you someday. Mad Dog Morgan, symbol of terror to the wealthy and the powerful. Was he a monster or a martyr? A ruthless bandit or a rebel hero? Outwitting, outriding, outgunning an army of police. Here at last is the truth about Mad Dog Morgan, the outlaw's outlaw. He's got giant
1: balls, that
2: one.
0: Today's guest, I think by his own admission, if he had to do it all over again, would have rather been in a rock and roll band. And I I would say to him, take a number, dude. Uh, <laughs> I'm still hoping, man. Uh, but anyway, uh, before we introduce today's guest, today's topic is the state of Australia in terms of cinema, TV, and things in motion. Here's a man who's in motion. We're going to have him go back in time a little bit because before... He was a filmmaker of note. He was uh, the dreaded J word, a journalist of note, a film journal, film journalist. We're going to put some of that to the test. Please welcome to talk about the state of Australia, as it were. Uh, Please welcome to Murmur, Mr. David Michaud. David, welcome to the show. Thank you for doing this, man. Thanks, Rob. No worries. So were you a journalist? Can you cop to that or is this a dirty word now?
3: Uh, I, I, I was I became one by accident I don't I, I don't know that um, I don't know that I, I don't know I I don't know I went to film school a few years before I started working at the, the, the magazine um, in Sydney that uh, that I worked for uh, you know I was as was true of so many of us at film school, you know, it was fun. It was, it was the most engaged year of school I'd ever done. And, um, uh, but I left it having no real idea how to forge a career for myself as a filmmaker. Uh, and I, you know, I went to film school in Melbourne and moved back to Sydney where I was, originally from and was just broke and, and a little bit lost and uh, I met the good folk at um, inside film magazine which was a a kind of it was it was a, a kind of film craft magazine um, for the for, you know, Australian filmmakers and um, and they gave me a job I started out there kind of answering the phones and and going to the post office uh but it was a beautifully chaotic place it was like it was a small magazine and it was all in a kind of open plan office and it was chaotic and so whenever kind of uh whenever any kind of like creative disputes would erupt everyone in the office would pitch in including the including the guy answering the phones and and so (laughs) kind of you know, I kind of—I think within six months I was the deputy editor, and then, uh, and and then uh, a couple of years after that started editing it. Um, so it all happened kind of by accident. and It was a job that I was really glad to have because it was—I I just, you know, just wanting to stay engaged in, in the film world in some way. It was a really good way to do it. I just my job was to interview filmmakers and. Heads of department and to learn about how the just how the business worked and yeah uh, so that was it was all it was all great experience but I you know I I do remember after a few years thinking okay I've had enough of this.
0: <laughs> I have a curiosity though as we as we look maybe into the guts of Australian as a film community uh, then and now and even though you suggest you're not the best authority which makes you of course the best authority um, were you were you watching movies. were there Australian movies in your consciousness growing up and if so what were those films?
3: I think quite you know quite beautifully in a way I was um, I wasn't especially conscious of there being a difference between Australian movies and American movies and British movies I mean I'm speaking about I'm talking about English language movies but uh, I knew that there was a clear difference between foreign language ones and although even those differences were kind of muted in a way you know so i was used to watching kind of strange often kind of strange uh you know european horror movies and stuff that were dubbed into english and i, I you know my my memories, i didn't even really notice that they were dubbed they had a strange quality but I didn't... <laughs> yeah but uh, I, I i kind of like i wish i still had that um that lack of differentiation between between Australian films and others you know it's uh, as soon as you develop that as soon as you develop that in that 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 uh, you start boxing uh, as soon as you start boxing Australian films into a Their own specific category. I think, you know, I I think the tendency it's probably true for me I think it's true for everyone that you you know for Australians is you start to You start to hold them to a scrutiny that is perhaps unfair, you Mm. know Mm. Uh, Mm. um, And this is definitely true of the Australian public's uh, Relationship with its own cinema is that it judges it more harshly than it does Cinema from
0: elsewhere in the world? Implicit in the invitation is some form of subjectivity, but actually, ironically, I don't seek that. I actually seek a a little more empiricism, and I'll I'll guide us through it in this way. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of some of externally, some of what I would consider you know, the godfather, godmothers of Australian film. Let's take someone like Peter Weir. Maybe that's, you know, the, the easiest go-to as a start. Um, when we're Peter, this, I know some of these questions are going to come out cliche, but, you know, Chaplin always talked about the value of cliche, so let's go with that. So Someone, <laughs> like, someone like Peter Weir and those early uh, seminal films, hang, pic, Picnic at Hanging Rock and The Last Wave, when were your first a weir, a weir, a weir, I like that, a weir. When <laughs> were you... <laughs> When were you first aware of Peter Weir as an artist, as a native artist, let's say?
3: You know, I mean, in all truth, I probably wasn't aware of Peter Weir as an Australian artist until I started becoming uh, aware of cinema as... I started becoming interested in cinema as a young adult, you know, cinema proper. I mean, I think back in those early days... Again, uh, you know, I, I, I don't recall... I, I remember, you know, I just remember vivid images of, you know, say, for instance, the cars that ate Paris and that Volkswagen with the spikes sticking out. Of <laughs> yeah, it and the, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it all blurred into uh, a kind of just, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 a childhood sense of. The
0: weirdness of cinema in the eighties, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <'cause>, uh... <laughs> yes, the eighties were a blur in many. Yeah, I mean, when, when, but when you were in school and and you went to the Victorian College of Art located in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, let's let's look at this in a real stick up the ass kind of way. You know, many people think the first ever feature films were born in Australia. In a way, I don't know if did you study the the story of the Kelly Gang. Uh, 1906, is a 60-minute feature, and many people think that's the first ever feature. Were you, as part of your training, were you put in touch with the history of Australian film? Were you given that as a pretext to cinema education when you were in school, or was that not part of the education?
3: Uh, Not really. I mean, you know, yeah, I, I think I was aware of the fact that You know that 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 it is said that the 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 kelly gang movie was a uh was you know considered to be the first feature film ever made in the world but beyond that no it certainly didn't form a part of my education i mean i don't my understanding is that there isn't actually much of it left you know i mean it's been horribly damaged and it's probably it's in the national sound and uh, film archive and it's you know there's there, there there are just there are chunks of it left but we certainly never sat down and studied it you know uh,
0: uh yeah there, there are some crude stills i mean it, literally if you google it you'll see if it, it, it has almost a great train robbery kind of image to it and you know it's part of i guess what colloquially would be known as a bush ranger film yeah what is a for those uninitiated myself included what is a bush ranger what is the bush ranger genre is that a common genre when you look at the history of australia
3: yeah i guess there would be there have been i mean obviously ned kelly was the most famous of them i mean it's not this it's he was bush you know he's like a jesse james figure he was a um not just a kind of you know a highway robbery uh um guy there was there were clear political undercurrents. You know, he was an Irishman, um, railing against uh, British oppression in the Australian colonies. Um, so there was a there was a, a very clear element of, you know, the the, you know, he was a murderer and a criminal, but he was also a kind of oppressed underdog, sticking it to the man, mm. which I think is probably explains the. The you know the the kind of the 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 lasting power of um, of his story, mm-hmm. and there have been a number of them since. There was one starring Mick Jagger back in the seventies, is Mick Jagger playing Ned Kelly. And then no there, was, way. there was another one you know, ten years ago with obviously with Heath Ledger playing Ned Kelly. And yeah. my I think I'm not speaking out of school when I say that my. My friend Justin Curzel is uh, soon to make uh, another one based on one of my favourite novels, which is Peter Carey's uh, True History of the Kelly Gang. Your, uh, I suspect,
0: probably won't be the last one. Justin, your countryman who did Assassin's Creed, and it's funny as you're all kind of rising together. But I wonder, when you're in school or when you're a young Australian artist, are you, are you thinking of? What the next horizon line is, and I yeah, I do mean Hollywood and I do mean conquer and getting films seen in larger parts of the world. When did that first come into your consciousness? I mean you're obviously you were a very savvy film uh, aficionado when did the idea of taking an Austra- your Australian DNA film DNA and leaving the country or getting the film seen in a more wide way? when did that first become a turn on for you
3: i think you know even just with a kind of uh a cursory observation of um the precedents that existed for you know australian filmmakers that it's you know it seemed apparent that you know success would invariably mean on some level taking your career overseas you know hopefully not permanently you know i still i still want to make films in Australia, but uh, that it's, you know, it's it's, it's one of the things I love, I love Australia so much because it's partly for the things that make it uh, challenging, you know, that it's uh, the things I love about it are its its isolation and its wildness and its size and its emptiness and it's, uh, you know, that it is a kind of, you know, a a predominantly English-speaking country that's just buried at the nexus of southeast asia and the south pacific you know it's there are so many things i love about it but it's also it can be difficult to maintain uh you know a prosperous career in that pond um you know so i think you always assume that on some level if you're if if you want to be a filmmaker and you're gonna make it quote unquote whatever that
0: means at some point you're going to want to take it overseas. You were describing your love of Australia. Sorry to interrupt him. I was thinking about Walkabout, which is not, you know, it's it's a beautiful film in Australia, though. It's made by Nick Rogue, who's English. But Mm. I digress. As an interstitial here, do you think that's a a decent primer for cinema for Australia on screen? Something like Walkabout.
3: Yeah, I mean, those ones that were like... Nick Rogue's Walk About and Ted Kotcheff's Wake in Fright you know these were movies that were made by foreigners that were powerful in a way because it was they they felt as though they were observations of the the, just the brutality of the Australian landscape seen through alien eyes.
0: Is that what it takes? I was thinking about Lars von Trier, who's made films about America and has never been to America. You know, uh, Kafka wrote a, a novel called America. He'd never visited America. Do you think it sometimes takes the outside eye to determine the characteristics of a of a foreign system?
3: It can be advantageous. I think yeah. you know. It can just. It's just just a slight. A slight prism shift. I, it's you know, and I, I wasn't when I made my second film, for instance, *The Rover*. I was shooting it in a part of the country. It's probably, if I'm not mistaken, it was probably about the same part of the country where *Walkabout* was shot. You know, in the Flinders Ranges, South Australia, about nine hours drive north of Adelaide. I mean, you're really in the middle of nowhere. It's the most extraordinary landscape. You know, so brutal and so beautiful and so still. Um, and so oppressive. But I had seen a number of Australian films shot in that part of the world that just didn't, that just didn't capture those qualities. Mm. And so when it came time to make that film, you know, I, 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 I very much wanted a foreign DP. Yeah. I found Natasha Breyer, um, who is Argentinian, um, but very much just all the world, but who had never been to Australia before. It felt to me like it worked, you know, that that she she immediately started looking at that landscape with her her,
0: her uh, virginal her argent- her virginal eyes. <laughs> Did that process get you in touch with something you hadn't seen before about your country or about the charisma of the land?
3: I don't know. You know, it's like I could I can I can dig beneath the surface and, and put some kind of psych psycho emotional sort of uh patina on on her you know it may just be about the light you know yeah, it's yeah. there's something incredibly harsh brutal about the light in australia the angle at which it hits the country and all that kind of stuff and it's uh i suspect that's probably more than anything um you know what it is you bring a foreign dp into that environment and they are instantly instantly having to contend with uh, a, a sunlight that is is unlike anywhere else in the world, in my experience, anyway.
0: Is it the quality of light? Is it color temperature? We've all gone through those experiences when you're traveling and you say, oh, this is beautiful, I want to shoot it, but the photo never quite clinches it. So what is it about the light, and is there a film, in addition to the rover, that you feel got to the quality of Australian light?
3: John Hillcoat's The Proposition, for instance, yeah. which was shot by Benoit Delorme, uh, you know, again, a foreigner. Um, the w- one thing I think, in a way, that a quality that it shares with the Rover is 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 an embrace of the um, the 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 brutal, brutal and kind of oppressive contrast of the light out there. You know, in some ways, it might be true that Australian DPS, by necessity, spend a lot of the time. You know. Um, perfecting ways to nullify that contrast you know that they uh to flatten it out Mm -hmm. to to compensate for it um whereas there's something in the brutality of the contrast that um that is somehow essential to the brutality of the landscape
0: you know, it's beautifully stated. I mean, I mean,
3: there are two films that, uh, you know, since I had seen a number of films that were shot in the Flinders range before, and it's amazing how bad you can make that place look. <laughs> you know? yes. How dull, you know, I, I, in this
0: age of Instagram, we still don't quite understand the skill of composition and maybe because composition is so ubiquitous, we. You know, cinematographers get pushed into an even smaller category, which is unfortunate. And we're speaking with David Michaud. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, as an American, my I'll reverse engineer this a little bit. My first concept of an Australian film this Don't Laugh is uh, The Road Warrior and, and actually it's Mad Max. Mad, <laughs> Mad Max, I know, they, I told you not to laugh. Mad Max was the first, the second film I ever saw on VHS was Mad Max. The first was Blade Runner. The second was Mad Max. L- let's take George Miller and let's hold off on Mel Gibson, but let's take George Miller. When, when Road Warrior and Mad Max were exported, w- do, you re- do you remember the sense of it in, in, in Australia? Was it, was, it a, was it a go get them guys and this is great? was it was it there an esprit de corps when those films started getting exported or was it kind of bittersweet well we'll never see them again was there a sense of support or was there a sense of loss when when those films started going worldwide
3: i was never really especially aware of the fact that there was something different that there that, that mad max and blade runner came from different worlds you know, It <laughs> yeah. was uh, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't until much later that i started to realize you know it's that you know that uh how um how wildly particular and unusual that kind of that genre and that school of australian filmmaking was back in the late 70s and the early 80s you know that uh what came to be known as ausploitation cinema you know that i i had just I just just assumed that everyone in the world was making movies like this, but uh, it wasn't until much later that I started to realize that the you know the the Brian Trenchard Smiths and the and and you know and George, Mad Max was obviously the, the 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 granddaddy of of this particular genre. What is does uh,
0: Mad Max? What does what Road Warrior use that is a unique? uh signature of Aussie filmmaking what would you say is Australian about that film other than the you know take the accents out of it you know and and take some of the well maybe you can't take the landscape out of it but what would you say is uniquely or intrinsically or romantically Australian about that film
3: I think there's something about the um there's something about the uh you know, about all the films of that genre, of that period, you know, it's been said before that, you know, there was, it might, you know, it might also be a product of the way they were financed, you know. There was a particular tax structure in place in those days that encouraged a whole lot of people to throw wild amounts of reckless money into uh, crazy and arguably ill-considered movies, you know, and there was something that really, something really kind of, special about the madness of those movies that you know came as they, they feel dangerous yeah. you know they feel yeah. dangerous in the production you know this was still a kind of you know a baby industry yeah. at that point you know the australian films even though supposedly you know the first film, feature film ever made was made in australia the film industry died completely through the the middle of the 20th century i mean it was just completely was it was it, it was it was uh, bought out by Hollywood Studios and then and, and essentially shut down. It wasn't until, uh, you know, in the 1970s with, you know, um, uh, progressive liberal government for the first time in, in a long time that uh, uh, injected new life into an Australian film industry that, that gave birth to people like Peter Weir and Fred Skepsi and Bruce Beresford. Um, well, and as a out of that, sorry. the next little, the next sub generation of that was these guys like George Miller and stuff. And so it was a baby industry, and you can feel, you can feel uh, these these films being a product of an industry that kind of had no rules. Mm-hmm. You know, that was being being built by people who were just making it up as they went along, and something something in that felt wild and naive and experimental. Uh, you know and often bad <laughs> you know? it's not like they're all masterpieces by any stretch but there was just something fresh and 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 young and dangerous about them I
0: I, I saw I, I love that you just gave me goosebumps because that there's a, a lot of that I don't think is common knowledge in any way um, and I will say another thing I watched Gallipoli again on the big screen not too long ago and you hit a lot of notes that I felt watching it I felt these were unchaperoned artists acting with great purity and great hope and and it's funny when you say the film industry was taken away the result was not cynicism i I don't think i don't think australian films are cynical i think they're they're celebratory in a sense you know and and as you say you know road warrior the original is unbridled and it's basically you're saying that film is a documentary (laughs) no but I, i i don't you know i I love the power and the passion Um, now look Year of Living Dangerously is a different film different Peter Weir film not to obsess on Peter Weir although he's a filmmaker that I think is underrated historically speaking speaking with David Michaud, I want to talk a little bit about your personal journey uh, before we get to some quick hitters and, and let you onto your your busy day um when you when animal kingdom exploded and i would call it an explosion did you feel any of that did you feel any of of the, now you were around a lot of your mates cuz you had this really cool collective that you were around a lot of australian artists and colleagues but did anyone any of the vox populi or any critics say we're going to lose David Michaud. He's risen above the noise, and now you know he's not ours anymore. Did you hear out any of that critically?
3: No, I mean you know there's it it's it there's an undercurrent in the conversation generally in the Australian film community that yeah that that is it's a challenge that the Australian film industry faces all the time, which is that, uh, which is that you know. That very often, too often, perhaps, or you know, always when a filmmaker achieves some level of success that they leave and that, you know, the danger is that they never come back. There are exceptions to the rule. You know, it's like Baz Luhrmann pretty much made made all of his films, you know,
0: bar uh, Romeo and Juliet in Australia until. Great Gatsby. Um, well, no, even Gatsby. Gatsby was it, so. filmed in Australia. I, I always think of it as a Hollywood <laughs> film, but that's you're right. That's part of the schism is it if it's filmed in australia does that make an australian you know these weird tags we put on it you know what is an australian film what is an american film is it about the financing or is it about the location i your point is very well made that baz seemed to stay true to the feel of of his roots
3: about staying connected to the community you know it's regardless of the content of the films themselves i mean you can you know, it's a constant again. Another constant conversation in in you know when you when you're working in an industry that is largely government subsidised. You know, what is the cultural remit of that of those organi- those government organisations that are financing? You know, they are cultural organisations. So, mm-hmm. what is the definition of culture? You know. Uh, it, it can get really muddy really quick
0: the the muddiness and especially as it locates to Australia I, I figure I'd figured out the problem and I want to present the problem to you in our last segment here and and like most things uh, in uh, related to film and filmmaking, I blame actors now here's my <laughs> here's my thesis. My thesis is that Australian actors tend to be extraordinary chameleons. Extra- and I mean that as a craft compliment. Um, you know, when I think of some of the early, you know, crossover, you know, someone like Errol Flynn, most people don't know was Australian. I think he was Tasmanian actually. Mm-hmm. Nicole Kidman, Hugh Jackman, you know, Hugo Weaving. These are inc- I'm saying these are incredible actors and actresses, but they're so versatile. I think w- Americans easily forget that those are Australian actors. Not that it matters as such, but they so smoothly I- indoctrinate themselves into our into the work here, and especially through the actors. What do you make of that? What do you make of that wave of Australian actors? And yes, Heath Ledger and Guy Pearce to a certain extent, Hugo Weaving we mentioned, uh, Chris Hemsworth now. What, what do you make of Australian actors having made a transition? Do you think it's been a really elegant... Organic transition, or do you think there's more room to kind of uh, look at the efficacy of this? You
3: know, it is a compliment, but it's also you know, you it's it, I would say I would suggest that it's a compliment that comes as a consequence of a kind of of a, a broader kind of cultural insecurity. You know, it's like Australians are, you know, we I fuck I'm gonna speak for my entire nation now but
0: <laughs> you know I'm, I have uh, the I have the anthem queued up would you, would you like me to play it no, I'll, I'll wait I'll, I'll do it in post I'll do it in post anyway go on please don't, please don't. <laughs> I would yeah. never do that to you not uh, a great tune <laughs>
3: um, the, we're brought up believing that the world is somewhere else you know that it's uh, that you know we travel a set of Australians all the time that we travel a lot and we always seem to be just roaming the earth and it's partly because when as we're, we're we are, we are brought up to believe that whilst our, where, we are, where we live is so very special, um, that the world itself is happening somewhere else. And as a consequence, I think we're constantly looking at the rest of the world in a very studied way. It makes that transition for an Australian actor to slide into uh, American culture, to slide into an American accent or a British accent a little bit easier because we've kind of been prepping for it from when we were little kids, mm-hmm. on some level.
0: That's fascinating. Uh, That's fascinating to me. Yeah,
3: yeah. The, <laughs> this doesn't sound patronizing, but there's something kind of endearing about it. You know, it's like it's certainly been true of me. I always had an idea that the world was somewhere else, and and then I got to do a bunch of traveling, and I got to make some films, and I got to work in other parts of the world, and then you know you come full circle, and you go, okay. There, you just you develop a an even greater appreciation for how special Australia is because it's not everywhere else. Well, that, uh, that
0: that's kind of what I'm getting to. You know, when I look at or listen or even listen to someone like Mel Gibson, there's such a small trace element of his accent it's almost obliterated and Nicole Kidman as well the late Heath Ledger the brilliant Heath Ledger a lot of his quote-unquote fans would have been shocked to know that he I I don't think they would even would realize he was from Australia so I wonder is that Darwinism where where does the brain drain come though what is the cost to the country I guess I don't
3: know I don't know that it's necessarily entirely true that um you know it was certainly true of Mel you know you could feel it but once upon a time you know he came over very like of that of those actors that uh, came out of the Australian 70s cinema Renaissance you know there was he was like the first one in a way to yeah. come over here uh, to America and make it at a time when it was probably you know probably uh, almost a given that you would shed your Australian um identity on some level you know you didn't just you didn't do what we do today which is just you know in you know it's globalization but you know we just <laughs> we just fly back and forth and and absorb american culture on, you know on a in a 24-hour news cycle and all. back then it was like you were either here or you were there and you had to make a decision right. um But I look at everyone, all those ones who came after, it's like, I don't know that I agree. When I think of Heath, you know, rest in peace, or Nicole, or Russell, or, you know, they've they've all very firmly still have their Australian accents, Mm. you know, regardless Mm. of where they live, it's all just, it's a lot easier now to, to move back and forth. I mean, yeah, one of the great challenges is trying to stem the brain drain and I think that is one of that has, that has become an, uh, one of the cultural remits of the government organisations in Australia, you know, and, and acknowledging that it's, that it's a, in some ways the way to stem the brain drain is to lubricate it, you know. It's about making sure that you're never going to stop people from going exactly. overseas. You just yeah. need to make sure that, it's, that you don't rail against that. If anything, you make sure that the it's it, it's a two-way street rather than a one-way.
0: I, I, that's an extraordinary. I don't want to call it a summation to to diminish it because it's not. It's it's it goes right to the heart. I have one more one more uh, or two more questions about uh, the Australia now of it all because I think you're part of it in a really exciting and invigorating way. We're talking to David Micho. Uh, I it's funny. I meet students. I teach and meet students from all over the world, and a lot of them want want to stay in their native countries, you know, and maybe it's a language thing, you know, maybe maybe you can't compare the Australian inertia and wanting to leave to someone living in, let's say Vienna or, you know, uh, N- Nigeria. Well, me- maybe it's a language thing as such. But do you meet young artists, actors, filmmakers, writers in Australia who want to cultivate that world that 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 and maybe tv stands more of a fighting chance because the tv systems are are strong outside of the u.s there are very strong tv systems but in terms of film art and maybe acting and performance art are you meeting young australian creators who want to i hate the term but i'll use it give back or create now you're creating it seems like you're doing this but do you feel there is a a renewed vigor or there is a vigor to want to stay in Australia on any level and create work in Australia,
3: I feel that given the you know this stuff that this the, the ease that I was talking about before the, the 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 relative ease of to you know moving back and forth of staying in touch with America when you're in Australia because of the internet and all that stuff. Uh, has made it has made it easier for you know I know I have friends who are you know uh have gone back to australia to make things to that it all of this stuff feels possible and and every you know I I my all of my my peers you know we all they don't they all seem to have still have Roots in Australia. You know, very few of them have completely holus bolus uprooted and moved
0: moved to America. Manage
3: to keep a foot in both countries.
0: Was that rhy- rhyming slang? What did you say, holus bolus? Holus is is that is that unfamiliar? To you? Yeah, I, was that Cockney? I love Cockney rhy- rhyming slang. I've, I have no idea.
3: Holus I, bolus just means uh, <laughs> you know uh, um, Look, old. All encompassing. All <laughs> in one. I don't even know what
0: it means. I no, I think I I got it. Well you know, <laughs> speaking of all encompassing, can you tell a little bit in closing about the incubator, maybe accidental incubator you have in your life where you live with other Australian creators and creative minds?
3: Uh yeah, I I uh, yeah, I share I share I you know, so I'm a classic example of the you know, I still have my I still have my place in Sydney and I, um, you know, I'm, I, I, I still, I still spend more time in Australia than I do here in America, but, uh, but I have been, uh, you know, renting a place in LA for, uh, you know, coming up to like 10 years now or something that I share with,
0: uh, a bunch of other Australians that, um, uh, in, in Koreatown, right? In, yeah, in, in I love Korea. Koreatown. I'm fascinated by Koreatown but anyway <clears throat> another story for a different day.
3: And it's fun you know we're just all people in the same boat just uh, you know doing uh, doing our thing. I think our situation here is quite unusual. I don't really know of uh, other, other Australians who do this but uh, you know we just kind of worked out that if we all pitched in together we could basically get ourselves a sprawling compound and, and uh,
0: that's amazing.
3: Uh, and, and yeah, and it's nice, you know, we're always talking, we're always, uh, uh, you know, workshopping projects with each other and, and it's just nice to have smart, uh, smart, uh, sounding boards. Yeah. Well, it's
0: it's interesting. I remember meeting Paul Thomas Anderson, it was right around Magnolia and, Goularty Productions, which was his company, and I don't know if it's the same way, but was basically his house. It was this huge house with, you know, different rooms were used for different... But it's not like, you know, it's not like Todd Solance was living down the hall. You know, it's not like David O. Russell was sleeping on the futon. So, you know, for you guys, it it really is that, though. I mean, do you feel too old for housemates? And I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean, does that ever does it ever interfere in the process i'm just fascinated by the fact that you all live together is basically my point um do do you ever, when you need a little space what how do you carve that out do you just go back to australia do you just kind of uh find it pretty much gotcha
3: yeah i mean you know yeah if i I think you know it's i haven't if i suspected if i was living here full time i might feel like i wanted my personal space you know it's not but it's you know where where civilized uh, <laughs> hygienic kind of grown adults you know it's not yes. like dogs in space or anything we're not all just lying around in pools of our own vomit or anything. sorry man
0: that, that totally was my image my very last question I promise and you've been incredibly patient I thank you um, if you could if you could spread dust over and pixie dust to change something about the Australian film culture now you know be it money be it training what would you change as an improvement what, what would you What would be your first, if you were the mayor of FilmTown, what would be the first change you would want to see?
3: There's kind of two things, and in some ways they may actually be kind of mutual, they may be be contradictory. You know, the first is that that thing we were talking about before with Australian actors, this ease, this back-and-forth ease that I was talking about may be having a detrimental effect on the way Australian actors develop. You know, it used to be, there used to be a time when you, you know, if you were an Australian actor, you would stay in Australia and you would just work and work and work and never know whether or not there was a career that was, uh, um, that was going to form in perpetuity around you. And so you had to do other jobs and you had to, you know, and you, and you had to struggle to make it work and then. And then maybe if you were lucky, you were in an Australian film that, that penetrated the, the international consciousness, and then you came over and then you took, you know, and that there was something about that especially, among, you know, that it meant that Australian actors, when they came over to um, America, they were they were just very experienced by the time they got here. You yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, but it also meant that for young Australian men, more often than not, they had clear lived lives you know that there was um, that there was that was there was something power you know you know sort of a cliche but there was something powerfully masculine about Australian male actors mm-hmm. because they had I mean I remember on Animal Kingdom you know one of, of the few the few people on that movie who managed to uh, whose international careers kind of blossomed after that movie one of them was uh, a guy named Sullivan Stapleton Mm-hmm. Um, who had, I remember when we were shooting that movie he you know he he rapped a couple of weeks early uh, a couple of weeks before the end of the film and he was just loving being a part of it so much that he was he was pleading with the producers to let him stay on and work as a grip because that's oh.
0: what he'd been that's uh, amazing that's amazing. Prior
3: you know in while also working on construction sites and You know, and now everything seems to be so fluid that now it's actually way more common than it ever used to be for young Australian actors to just basically finish school and just get on a plane and come over here. You know, they get themselves a leather jacket and a fancy haircut and, you know, have their teeth whitened or whatever, and the next thing you know, they're here, you know, and that's that's not what, that seems to sit counter to what used to make Australian actors powerful um, and surprising. But at the same time, and this is the contradictory thing, I actually this fluid back and forth thing is I think it needs to be actively encouraged. If I could sprinkle a pixie dust on Australia itself, it would be to, you know, there can be one of the one of the downsides of having uh, a, a, an industry that is a product of, um, you know, government subsidy is that everyone gets really, really. Uh, Protective of Australian jobs, you know, it's like it, it can be sometimes prohibitively difficult to Get us get international actors into Australian films or to get to bring, you know, uh, international uh, Heads of department over just to so it can get a little parochial and a little closed down and I think yeah. that Ultimately works against the overall long-term health of the industry in Australia. I think that uh you know, it would be it would be more than beneficial for just to to you know. It's the irony is often to get an Australian film up, you have to cast uh, a meaningful Australian actor, and more often than not, those people, those Australians, are actually living overseas somewhere. You know, yeah. make money in other film cultures.
0: Uh, anyway, that's why I think you're you're f- your your first motivation was right. We should have just been rock stars. I mean. Uh, Nick cave figured it out. I mean, he for some reason came back to film i don't I don't get it. no, actually, we're the benefit for it, and he's you know he and Warren Ellis have done the incredible music for your new film not to not to replug it, but uh hey man, I want to thank you i i I know you're you were probably a reluctant tour guide to all this uh to bury the lead, you are part of a, a new generation of really exciting artists. You could be on the moon and still be doing great work, so i want to thank you. For, for being here man and and sharing some insight into uh your home culture with us. Thank you so much David.
3: Thanks Rob, thanks for having
0: me. Cheers man, safe travels. Thank you. How are you going to keep them down on the farm <laughs> when they've when they've seen the city? I, did I just call Australia farm uh it, it's it is that it is it is a, a perpetual uh trap taunt uh magnet you know especially in film but in in commercial art culture and i was thinking this morning about i remember when i was first in touch with oh right once you become successful in your country you can go you're probably going to be wanted by other countries and this is not just post-color films you know fritz lang came to uh Hollywood to make it. Um I remember Lee Volman, uh, the great uh, s- uh I was going to call her sweetest actress. She did all the Bergman films, but she's actually um from uh from Norway. A little known fact. Uh you know, she came to Hollywood to to do some really bad uh, Hollywood films. Now this is a cr- more crude example, but it's it's a more current example Two was a two thousand. I know it was right at at the millennium break when um, Morris Paris came out, and then Itu Mama Tambien came out and Guillermo del Toro was kind of breaking through, and Alejandro Iñárritu was breaking through, and Alfonso Cuaron, these amazing Mexican filmmakers, and they actually started a company that I don't think is an active production company, but they started the company Cha 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 Films. And we've seen similar new, new waves of filmmaking that either plummet or or rise. The Australian, the Australian, I say migration, but the the realities of Australia as a culture, I just think they're remarkably disarmingly similar to what American systems offer for better or for worse. And it is really interesting when David even pointedly mentions, well, in Australia, in order to get a movie made, you need an actor with bona fides, and those bona fide actors are usually in America. <laughs> I do think it's it's a language thing too. I think the the ready. The, the predisposition and the similarity, the, the similar language. And it seems like the ability of an Australian actor to wrangle American accents really well. It's funny, I believe one of the most convincing uh, notes on the the accent adaptability and as we were saying earlier the chameleon of karma listen to an Australian actor do a Southern American southern accent it's extraordinary. They do an incredible Australian actors do something about the cadence and the tone and the color and the timbre of an Australian accent that is stitched so close to American south. So I do think that skill set and also for UK based actors you know another um, uh, English language based system. so it all makes sense. It's all sort of sense and nonsense. Here's some homework. Pro tip: bit of homework until we uh, meet again. Grab one or two titles of the the '70s. I hate the term osploitation, but watch. You know, it's there's a there's a really here here's one bit of homework. There's a really great film uh, with Stacy Keach and jamie lee curtis and why i point you to that one is it's called road games 1981 filmed in australia but it's not supposed to be australia it's supposed to be the western desert happens to be filmed in australia i love that kind of frankensteinian monster in my movies and even more so in my genres and even more so more so in my countries we want to thank david michaud for being with us today MurmurRadio.com every week live whupfm dot is the website uh, we're podcastable iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher it's always an honor being with you here live and evergreen David Michaud, all the best visit Australia <laughs> this is not sponsored by the Australian Board of Tourism just a little free advice from me to you enjoy